Magalhaes to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner. Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it. Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Saints FC podcast. We have reached number 74, and I have a returning special guest. So uh, those of you who've been listening for a little while may remember last season we spoke to Professor Simon Kemp uh, from the University of Southampton. Uh, He's not a professor of football, he's a professor (laughs) of environmental sustainability, but he is a Southampton season ticket holder, which gives him all the requisite uh, qualifications for speaking on this podcast. Simon, welcome back. How how are you? I'm very well, John. Thank you for inviting me back. I consider it to be an absolute privilege. Um, I would like to just reiterate that even though we are sitting in my office... This anything that I say is my personal viewpoint and not the views of the University of Southampton, obviously. Yeah, we, we don't want to get in any hot water, do we, about kind of, you know, University of Southampton says <laughs> Southampton <laughs> Football Club are rubbish. Um, anyway, it's probably going to be quite hard to get through this podcast without saying something disparaging about our club, isn't it, Simon? Yes, yes. So... Um, Last time uh, we spoke on the podcast, it was before the Wolves-Saints game. So we're going back a little while. So I was at the Wolves-Saints game. You were at the Saints-Leicester game. Sadly, yes. Yeah, um, I don't think I'll ever forget that experience. Yeah. The fact that both of us are sat here at 7.30 in the morning on the Wednesday probably tells us, tells all our listeners that neither of us were at the game last night no. um, at Manchester City. I did listen to the commentary and I have seen... The Saints' goal, which I think was unexpected, so we can talk about that. But I think probably this episode is going to be more about trying to figure out what on earth has gone wrong at our club. I mean, we don't have all that long, but uh, maybe trying to see if there's any glimmers of hope. I think let's we'll we'll maybe just try and kind of you know disassemble the whole Southampton Football Club, try and work out what what on earth's going on, and then try and pick out some glimmers of hope at the end. So there's something a little bit joyous for our listeners to, to kind of finish listening to the podcast too. Does that sound even possible, Simon? You're looking at me with a face that <laughs> says this is going <laughs> to be a really tough ask. Um, it is going to be a tough ask because um, in, in our line of work around sustainability, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty resilient and have a sense of eternal optimism about yourself, about everything that you do and everything that you look at. And I do consider myself to be an eternal optimist. I'm struggling this one. Though. I'm really struggling to try to pick apart. You can normally see some sort of area where you think, well, maybe things could be improved there. There's some element of weakness where everything is revolving around. But I have to be honest, I don't know. And I was, uh, I mean, we're sitting here this morning and I'm, it's, it's, it's very strange in that I feel that we're in a situation where I feel relatively thankful that we only lost 3-1. And I can't believe I'm even saying that. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to the final score last night and I thought, a 3-1 loss to Man City is a massive <laughs> result on yeah. the face of things, which is really, really terrible. Anyway, before we get into Southampton Man City, let's let's roll back. We're going to go all the way back to Molyneux. So, um, big day for me. So, yeah. for me, um, Wolves Southampton is, is known in our family as the Albert Hoskins derby. <laughs> so, Brilliant. Albert Hoskins was my great-grandfather. And he played for Southampton and was manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers. So wow. When I was That's growing quite up, some heritage. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was basically a choice between Wolves or Southampton, who, who I supported. So I grew up in Bath, probably pretty much equidistant between Southampton yeah. and, and, and Wolverhampton. Um, Southampton had Matthew Letizia at the time. And uh, apparently I have some sort of second cousin who also played for Southampton. So, you know, that, that was that was real, the real tipping thing. But I do have a soft spot for Wolves, and it was really nice to go to Molyneux. It was my first time to, to Molyneux. And so, Albert Hoskins, Derby aside, getting into the game, finished 1-1, probably 
a fair result, I would say. From what I saw, but yeah. obviously being there, you get a much better sense for the whole the whole game. Yeah, and it, 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 it was an interesting one because Wolves obviously had two goals chalked off um, through VAR, but then they got a penalty, which you'd have thought maybe the penalty should have been chalked off through VAR, yeah. but it probably doesn't fall into that clear and obvious thing, and they've, they've not been overruling the refs that much, although that changed last weekend um, in other matches in the Premier yeah. League. Um, and a lot of the Saints fans around me were saying that we were the better side. I was a little bit unconvinced. I thought it was a pretty fair result, 1-1. But getting a draw away from Wolverhampton Wanderers wouldn't necessarily make you quake in your boots for your next home game. Not at all. No. And so we're going to come on to this this part now because... Well, hang on. Before we move on to Southampton Leicester, right? On the drive up, so my brother was driving, I was working out what my viewing record was watching <laughs> Southampton. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, a number of people have seen this. Yeah. I've gone 14 games now watching Southampton in person in the stadium without seeing a victory. I haven't told my wife how much money I've spent <laughs> <laughs> between the last time I saw Saints win and, um, and well, now, today, this kind of bleak moment where we're looking forward, trying to think, well, when are the ne- when's the next time Southampton going to win? And should I even go? I think I think you should carry on going without question. Yeah. Without question. I think it's just one of those horrible coincidences. Yeah, yeah. Um, or series of coincidences. So I wasn't at the game on Friday night. Um, my brother was. Uh, he messaged me about partway through the game and said, it could be worse. The man in front of me is sat under a drip, which I thought, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was going to be a miserable experience. But Simon, you were there. T- how? So this season, you got yourself a season ticket and a season ticket for both of your, your two boys. Yes. So, no. so they must be delighted with Dad at the moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've had se- we had season tickets up to a couple of seasons ago. That was just myself and my eldest. Yeah. We were lucky to have season tickets through the whole of the Ronald Koeman period um, and a little bit afterwards, which wasn't quite so great. We've got season tickets again now and my youngest is nine years old and he suddenly started expressing an interest in football and we thought yeah we, we, we'll, we'll go again everything was looking so positive for the start of the season under Ralph the Ralph Express was rolling we yeah. were we were well up again onto that and we got our season tickets and we went into the whole season with boundless joy and enthusiasm that's kind of been slightly ground down this game in particular I, I was always saying to, to Isaac that I absolutely love nighttime matches. They are my favourites. I love the whole. It's completely the, the just the sense of the match, the darkness, the lights, just the atmosphere I think is just so much more intense and I love it. And we managed we we were lucky. We managed to get into the ground just before the heavens opened and you know, it was properly harmony down. Some people were coming into the ground just coming into the match looking totally bedraggled and looking pretty fed up with life. But again, feeling, you know, maybe we can we, we do a good performance and things, as you say, were looking positive coming f- lead on from the Wolves game. The Wolves game was a step up after the Chelsea match in terms of performance and intensity of performance. And I think everybody was expecting that. They were expecting the intensity because all of the pre-match build-up, Ralph was talking about it, um, Pierre was talking about it, Everybody, it was that whole sense that we were really going to go at them from the off. And I have to be honest, in all the years that I've watched Saints, and you know we're, we're, talk, we're talking close to 30 years now, I have never si- had a sense of foreboding quite like just the first few minutes. Because from the first few minutes, you could see that they were completely up for their match and that we really weren't even remotely we just we sat off which when we tried to press we pressed at exactly the wrong times we were leaving gaps when we were trying to double press we were then leaving holes where the composure of the Leicester players do to be fair they were brilliant to a man they just tore through us and even before we turned to even before we got the, the first goal against us I was turning to my boys and I was saying, I've got a really bad feeling about this. I think I messaged you just before the game saying, you know, I'm not, I just don't get a good, I just don't get, I have got a good feeling about it. And on the way down, I was thinking, uh, and I was thinking, you know, we, we, we could get tonked 3-0 here. That's what I was thinking leading into it. But right from the off, it was shocking 
just the lack of organization and that first goal wasn't a surprise but it really set the tone for the whole of the rest of the match and i i i have to be honest with you i haven't managed to make myself watch the highlights um since i got back from the match so i don't know about the bird and red card all we saw was on the there was a real sense of confusion in the stadium. We were going, what, what red, checking for red card? It came up on the screens, VAR checking for red card. I think, what red card? There's nothing wrong there. And then they showed a very, very quick, rapid flash version of the challenge. And everybody around us was going bonkers, thinking this that can't possibly be a red. Um, what, what was your thoughts on that red card? It, it did look like a red. Right, okay. Yeah, for, for me, I thought it looked like a red. Um, I was watching this in Portugal with my dad, so we, we had the Sky Sports kind of stream coming in, so we did get to see the challenge right, okay. 20 times over yeah. in slow motion. And I think I think challenges always look much worse in slow uh, motion. Undoubtedly. Um, because, you know, in the heat of the moment, someone could lunge in and not... It, it could just be a bad challenge without it being malicious... Yeah, but then when you slow something down yeah. and you see the studs off the ground and it going halfway up the it makes it look like yeah, a Hollywood movie. Yeah, it does. It, you know, looks looks like a Jackie Chan sort of a, <laughs> movie, you know, a low kick. Um, but it's funny that you had that sense of foreboding before and that you thought we'd lose three 0 because chatting to my little group of Saints fans on, on WhatsApp, everyone was kind of predicting you know one one Saints one nil Saints two one. Okay, and I was the only one that predicted loss, and I I said four one. I wasn't anticipating anything like Friday no, night. No, what I was anticipating not. was that we'd probably start quite strongly. Maybe it would be like 1-0, 1-1, 2. And then maybe the floodgates would open a little bit in the second half when we're chasing the game and, and we'd concede. Because, uh, you know, Leicester were going for second in the table. Exactly. They're on a really hot run of form. Their players are, are really good quality, as as we well know. And they're, they're in, they've got that forward momentum, whereas we... I still felt we were on a bit of a bit backwards slide. Although the Wolves game was more positive, I still had my doubts. You know, the fact yeah. that we conceded two goals through VAR. I mean, I know Ralph came out and said that we're defending in a particular way um, to account for VAR, but... <sighs> I'm not sure I'd buy yeah, that. I don't know if I'd buy that either. I mean, I think there is... You can do things. So you can probably play a bit tighter on the offside. Mm. But ultimately, you don't want to be giving away that many really close Absolutely chances. Because uh, they are really tiny, fine margins. Yeah, I can't see yeah. how you can plan for margins which are the length of you the know, foot. Centimetres, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I did have a bit of a sense of foreboding. It's interesting that you had it as well. And then when you saw the game start, I mean, it, it, the, the writing wasn't on the wall for 9-0 in the first 10 minutes, but the writing was on the wall for a real tonking. And, and the way they reacted to the first goal and to the Bertrand sending off I have never seen a capitulation no, like that absolutely. Of, of any football team, you know, that early on in a game. You know, when Saints beat Sunderland 8-0, it took a little bit of time for the total capitulation of I Sunderland. I think it was only 2 or 3-0 yeah. at half-time in that yeah, match, wasn't I, it? I think it was 3-0. And actually, Sunderland had some decent chances in the first half, mm. but it just didn't look like we were going to get anything, anything at all going forward. The players just didn't look up for it. Um and then, you know, Bertrand gets sent off. Uh, and I think this is where, like, so I guess, you know, my first problem with Saints is that there's not a leader on the pitch. Yeah. I'm not convinced that Hoiberg is as good a captain as, as we've had in the past. And, and you look at the quality of the Saints players. Yes, they're not as good as the Man City players. Yes, they're not as good as the Leicester players. But they're not dreadful players. They're still better players than we've had in the past. Definitely. But if you think about in the 90s, when our players were less quality with one or two exceptions, you know, Jason Dodd was never yeah, he was a, a, a cultured captain. football player, really. But he worked bloody hard. And he was a proper that, leader on the pitch. Anything that he lacked in skill or technique, he worked on and improved on and made up for in effort on the pitch. And I just, I cannot believe, I mean, even just with one Jason Dodd or one Franny Benali um, in the side, we could never have lost 9-0. They just wouldn't have let it happen. No, I must admit, I absolutely agree because um, as, as, as much as I had that real sense of dread after the one, I didn't expect it to 
to go under quite so bad and it was a lot worse you expect a reaction at that point you expect a little bit of right okay we're up against it now we're down to 10 men we've got to really work that much harder but if anything they seem to work less i i i it was one of those things you can't put your finger on it, but it was like generally like the parting of the waves. And when they scored the second, it was at that point, and my elders will back me up on this. I turned to him and I said, I really, I'm scared now. I really feel that we could be on the end of, of maybe 10, 11. This could be the all-time record defeat because they are showing nothing here. And Leicester are absolutely going for the jugular. They are not going to ease off. I can't see them easing off. And it just got worse. Our, our defenders, there were, there were points where they were running from deep. I mean, Madison and Telemans were really dictating the show, particularly Madison dropping deeper into that midfield, just picking it up off the defenders, spraying it, making extra runs, making the overlap runs. They were, our defenders and our midfield were just backing off. I, I honestly felt that we did not have a midfield. I've never seen Romeo go missing that much. Um, Hoybier, Ward Prowse, the three of them, they looked like they weren't even there. But I, it, it was it was genuinely remarkable to see the naivety as well. And Valerie, bless him, I mean, he's. I think he's taken a frightful amount of stick on Twitter over the last week or so. And I don't believe it's fair at all because he is still... I think we forget sometimes he's so young. Yes, he's a great attacking fullback, but that's what the modern game is like. This kid has been put into that type of environment where he's been switched over um, early on in the match and he's then having to cope with these blistering runs from Perez and Vardy and he he's all over the place. I, 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 I was really worried... I think I said to you in in, uh, in an email yes yesterday or something that I hoped that that Ralph actually rested most of the team for the Man City game last night because I wanted them taken up the firing line. I was worried about them as human beings after that performance because yeah. it can't be nice. I, d- I mean, how how you recover from that? I d- Jan Vary is a, an interesting point because he did have a dreadful game on he Friday, really did, yeah. um, but but everyone did. But that's you know you're right. Valerie is a really young player, and that is where. If you have a leader on the pitch, exactly. If you have Klaus Lindetvam or Virgil van yep. Dijk or Jose Fonte, they get that player. They look them in the eye. They they you know they hold their shoulder. Say, look, come on, focus. You can do this. Just watch your man. Just watch the ball. Like make sure that you're not doing anything. They can snap you out of that. Uh, and all of the Saints players were in this kind of like this daze. Uh, um, they were, you're right. It, yeah. it, it's like watching a punch drunk boxer. Yeah. But there were 10 of them on there. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have necessarily seen it in the stadium, but I think there was, they had a close up on James Ward Prowse after the second or third goal. And you can see his head had dropped and he just looked clueless. You know, right. he, he already looked a bit vacant, like as in, like, oh, oh no, this is, this is really strange. It may have actually been after the first goal, but you could, you could see at that point that he'd already given up. And you can't give up no. that early on in a game because, well, that happens. Um, and I think it, you know it's interesting about you saying the midfield going missing because they normally anything that comes through the middle, Romeo and Hoiberg yeah. will will deal with it. But what Leicester were doing really well was switching the play from yeah. left to right, and I don't know was it um, it was like Barnes and um, Chilwell yeah. who were kind of the two attacking wingers for Leicester or wing backs, and the way that they were switching the play. Just you know, we'd have the the hassle would move to one side of the pitch, then Harvey Barnes would switch it over to yeah. Ben Chilwell, and suddenly he had the whole pitch to to, to play. And with. there were huge areas yeah. of space every time. Massive, uh, and yeah, that's that's a little bit of worry. I don't think you can put nine nil down to tactics, but no. it does show a potential flaw that if you have wing backs who can play these brilliant forty fifty yard passes across the pitch and find the other player. That is a potential weakness, which Leicester exploited. So, I mean, they exploited us on the tactical side of things. Yep. We didn't have a leader on the pitch to actually kind of get us out of the funk of the days, dazed and confused us. And I think another problem, wi- which I really noticed on the television, you can imagine how often they cut to Ralph stood can, on yeah. the touchline on his own, looking really lost. And this is probably my... Quite a lot has been said about Danny Roll leaving Southampton. Yeah. He's the, the assistant manager. Now, I don't know how much of an influence he had on it, but what it did look like on Friday is that Ralph was there on his own. Yes. Kelvin Davis wasn't coming off off the bench to speak to him, to talk to him, to provide him with ideas. None of the other 
backroom staff were coming off the bench to stand next to him, talk to him, bounce ideas off him, suggest a way forward. And he just looked like a guy who was completely on his own, just totally on his own in every sense of the way. And, and he had noth nothing or no one to turn to. And that was quite alarming for me. Yeah, I, I must confess I didn't pick up on that because yeah. um, our season tickets are in the we're over in the family area. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we're in the family area between Kingsland and Chapel, sort of in that corner area. So you don't really pick that up. I think that I mean, and also I got to be honest, there were times where I, I was I was so horrified by what I was saying. I wasn't even looking at the match that much. <laughs> I was texting a couple of my mates, just just saying this this is like a horror movie. This is just surreal. Um, so I, I wasn't watching that. I know the times when I was watching, I, yeah. I, I was looking at where all the space was because it seemed to me like the pitch got a huge amount bigger during that game because of what you're saying just now in terms of the switching, because of the, the lesser tactics, they created these massive vacuums and they totally exploited them. Now, with Ralph, I do agree that he has increasingly looked lost he you do get that sense that that since Daniel went then maybe his main sounding board has gone because is it a coincidence that we looked so much more certain last season there was a clear there's the, the, the clear tactics were there the clear personnel and what they expected to do there you've spoken a length in previous podcasts um all about the way that the the positions the randomness of some of the positions particularly along the back line now I never got a sense of that I don't remember that ever happening last season that level of switching and that just causes confusion you do wonder has he got somebody to properly support him we, you know you know we've got is it two goalkeeping coaches on yeah. the bench now if you take a step completely emotionally away from it you look at it that setup and you think that can't be right that that's that that's not the way to play this. No, I mean, y you want to have your your assistants to be across a broad range yeah, of, um, exactly. of, of, of skills, don't you? You know, I, I have a team that I manage where I work, and you want people who have skills that you don't have. Yes. So that they can exactly. complement what you and the rest of the team don't have. So you have that broad range. And yeah, having two goalkeepers. So I don't think Kelvin Davis is actually the goalkeeping coach, but no, he's obviously he's had a whole career of goalkeeping. And to be honest, you'd have thought with two goalkeeping coaches, perhaps the goalkeeping would be a little bit better as well. <laughs> um, we've probably got enough to talk about without going into into the goalkeepers too much. But yeah, I, I worry for, for Ralph because he, he did bring in... Um, Richard, and I'm not going to try and say his surname, but it yeah. begins with a K, um, who is like a video analyst and one of Ralph's assistants. But I think he needs someone to be there on the pitch and to be that sounding board with him. Because the way it looks from the outside, and obviously you don't know what it's like in, inside the club, but the way it looks from the outside, it does look like he lacks that person that he can trust completely and will yeah. listen to. And, you know, and that person to challenge your ideas when they're maybe a little bit bonkers or suggest something you know, there's nothing better than when someone comes up with a brilliant idea and you can go with it and support it and I don't think Ralph has got that um, at that level and then with Richard Watson uh, no what's his Dave name? Watson Dave, yeah Dave Watson doesn't seem to, to provide that either so yeah it's, it's an interesting yeah <laughs> I mean, there's talk in the media now that the the owners are looking to try to get Ralph a director of football. Yeah. Now, we know from, again, from some of your previous podcasts and those brilliant interviews that you've been running with Carl Anker, uh, the fact that Ralph has given much, much more freedom autonomy than is the norm in the Premier League at the moment. And that was clearly an attractive proposition mm. to him in terms of he could have this big project and he had control, jurisdiction over all elements of the club, had that voice on the board. Now, what we might be seeing now is maybe there's a very good reason why that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. There's maybe now a very good reason why they have such big teams covering all different areas in football clubs because the level of pressure, expectation and the outside influences at football clubs are under such le such huge degrees of greater scrutiny now than ever before. The pressure is that much bigger that that perhaps we are past the days where you can have a good old-fashioned football manager who's got that level of autonomy. So 
does he need support? It looks like he certainly does now. Would he welcome it? We obviously don't know. But something needs to change there. And it comes back to exactly what you're saying just now about having the team around you to r- to rally around you, to have those different skill sets and to be able to see the things. There's only so much one person can see when they're trying to take control of everything. And I didn't notice Ralph so much from where we were on Friday, but from what you say, that does make sense. Whenever I glanced over, he was just standing there. Yeah. Brendan Rogers just looked like he was uh, he, he could just having the best time of his yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting back, chilling, watching it all unfold. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's it, it interesting. And then I suppose the other thing is, you know, at the end of the game when he goes back in, now with um, the director of football Ross Wilson's left for um, Rangers yeah. as well, he probably doesn't have any support no. at that level either. So he really is isolated on both sides. He doesn't have anyone that he can really turn to with football experience in the leadership team. Yeah. And he doesn't have anyone who seems to be able to provide what he needs at the next level down. And I've seen there's been some people calling for Ralph to be sacked. I don't think that's a good idea. Because I, I think, agree. you know, let's look at it. Clawpwell got some okay results with Southampton. You know, we finished in the top half of the table. We got to a cup final. We were the better team in that cup final and yeah, deserved to win it. Yeah, if only VAR had been in then, eh? Yes, um, yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that's been, you know, but the, the standard of football did go down it between Cooman and, and Puel. Pellegrino was, was dreadful. Um, Mark Hughes, you know, there was an improvement from Pellegrino, but again, it wasn't particularly good. Uh, and Ralph, it really seemed like we've got a man who could do the job on the basis of the way we finished last season, yeah. not so much from this season, although you can still see he's trying a different type of tactics, you know, whereas I think kind of Mark Hughes is pretty stuck in the dark. Yes, as we, we tactics. But I think, you know, that's four managers now that are struggling with this group of players. Is it, I think, you know, is, is it the players? Is it not the manager? Would... Well, have done better with a better group of players. Would Pellegrino have done better with a better group of players? Would Hughes have done better with a better group of players? If you look back at Hughes' successful time at Stoke, he had a great squad there and, and, and had them playing some good football at times as well. Oh, he really did, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think if we got rid of Ralph, I just don't know who would get in. I think there would be... We'd probably do another thing like a Mark Hughes thing where we'd get someone who'd play a back-to-basic sort of football which would be less complicated for the players to follow and perhaps they could grind out some results. But I don't think it's the... It's not really the direction that the club wants to be going. Obviously, the, the direction we're going in at the moment isn't the direction we want to be going either. But I feel like if Ralph had the backing of the backroom staff and the senior management team and some better players, which is quite a big ask, then he could be a, a really, really good manager. Has your, have your views on Ralph changed this season from... Last season, uh, sadly, they have a little bit. I've I've been defending Ralph quite a bit when talking to my wife about this, and um, because she keeps on saying as well that he should be going, mm. it's not acceptable. Um, and even my eldest is is beginning to question Ralph. I I'm very much of the opinion that we do need to coalesce around him. We do need to make sure that the whole club supports him, that he does have that senior management support, that he does I think he needs somebody mm. in that support in that support role. I think he needs to have that time to work with the players. It's still quite early, I feel personally, and particularly with the new structure around him. I definitely think it's down to the fact that I don't buy into this whole um arguments you see sometimes on Twitter about the players don't care, um, they're, you know, they're gutless, etc. These are professionals who've had to go through a huge amount to get to the level that, that they're at. In order to work your way through academies to get to be a professional footballer, you've got to be of an v- incredibly high skill set. You've also got to be somebody who is ruthless because your mates have been discarded around you, left, right and centre, not making it through, and yet you are the one who's getting it through there. These are good, strong professionals, in my view. I can imagine that if you take it onto... I mean, you know, we, we frequently forget that it is a job. It's something that they recognise their privilege to be able to do for their job, but ultimately they are 
they are in a profession. If you're in a profession and you're put onto a spotlight where there's millions of people watching you, and if you fail in the workplace and a couple of people around you notice it, you feel pretty bad about yourself. You don't feel great. Can you imagine what it's been like for them? Can you imagine what it's like going home or just going out? You'd be, you'd be terrified to send foot out of the door. Psychologically, these players are definitely going to be damaged. There's no question about it. And we need to try to find a way of making sure that everybody supports them. And there's proper, real, hard vocal support at the ground. In the second half... It was it was quite strange because the atmosphere did kind of lighten a little bit. A lot of people left. There was a lot of people leaving after the third goal. A lot of people at half time were either leaving or saying, "Oh, I want to go, but the rain's so awful. I think I'll wait for the rain to ease off. Otherwise, I'm otherwise I'd be I'd be gone." And then after the sixth and seventh goal, it it totally emptied. There was there were about there was nobody within about four or five rows of us, uh, and and it just and. It was quite strange that there seemed to be that whole sort of gallows humour. We had we had points and periods where people were standing, sh- um, were shouting, "Stand up if you love the Saints and cheering," and we were all doing that, and and we were trying to get behind the team. Yes, there was the atmosphere there that this isn't this isn't going well, but I did get the feeling that people were beginning to rally around them, and we clearly do need more of that. Is that going to keep in place if is, is, is that all going to change in terms of massive vocal support for the players if we get rid of the manager i don't think it will i think that ralph has got the ability he's got he's got the charisma to be able to win the fans back around and the players i think another change now i fail to see anybody who's going to be good enough who could come in and if we went back to a more basic thing i genuinely don't think that we've got the strong enough players to be able to batten down those hatches because i haven't seen anything that makes me think that we've really got a defense who can grind that level of result out the only period in the leicester match where we looked like we were going to do anything was there was a few minutes where danny ings was really really working pressing got managed to get a couple of shots where he he got one shot away and he looked absolutely gutted they went off target and he was really feeling it i was i could understand why we needed to try to lock things down for the second half and uh and get the defender on i did think taking things off was a mistake because he was also chasing back and Madison was dropping so deep down to the back line to get it, and none of the midfielders were pressing on to Madison, who totally dominated the game, that if we'd had a striker up there, like Ings, who would actually chase back, put a bit of pressure on him, I think it could have made a difference. So I was quite surprised when he was taken off. But I do think that I just don't think we've got the players there at the moment. I think we can trust in Ralph's vision over a longer term, I think if we got rid of him now, I think we'd be down without question. Yeah, I mean, there's still a chance we might go down. Very we're, strong we're, chance. We're, we're Very here. strong chance. Um, there's a couple of things that you picked up on. Um, there's the kind of the psychology element, and you know, you'd expect Southampton must have kind of psychologists or psychiatrists working with them, you know, looking at the Southampton players and you know trying to pick them up after such a shock like that. But, th- but the other thing about the players as, as well, about you know whether they have the the quality or not. I mean, we we've seen Southampton beat Arsenal and beat Tottenham yep. un- under Ralph and play well, so we know that they can do it. We've seen them get you know take Liverpool really close in the both games we've had at St yes. Mary's. Um, with Liverpool, although we've lost them both, we've you know covered ourselves in a pretty good stead. So we say about the players not being kind of good enough. Is it that we've just got the wrong sort of players for Ralph's tactics? I, I know um, when Karl Anker was on the podcast, he was saying that one of the key things about his Red Bull Leipzig team was the uh, Naby Keita, who now yeah. is warms the bench for Liverpool, um, as that kind of like dynamic box-to-box midfielder. And you can see that perhaps if Hoiberg was more like that, then you know Romeo breaks up the play, then Hoiberg yeah. carries it up the pitch. I think we're lacking quite a few things in the player department. The other thing which I think is quite interesting is when we signed Danse on the like final yeah. moments of the transfer window, I was delighted. Like, okay, we've got another centre-back. It must be someone that Ralph knows. But Ralph clearly doesn't fancy him that much, does he? Because otherwise he would have been brought in and put in the, the centre of defence by now, you, you would have thought, because 
Vestigard, yeah. Yoshida, Stevens, they've all been tried there and you know, Dancer got a run out last night and he was to blame for one of the goals, according to Dave Merrington and Adam. I've seen that goal. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that goal, and he did. He was rather statuesque whilst yeah. Aguero just bolted like he usually does. I mean, it's difficult as well because you are looking there at one of the best strikers the Premier League's ever seen. Yeah. So all it takes is one slight little sniff, and he'll get, and he'll get there. Uh, do we have the players who would be able to contain Aguero for ninety minutes every single move he makes? unlikely so i'm not too concerned about that one i do feel that danso has got this enormous potential but we need to stop playing him out on out on the wing back areas yeah. but he was he was in the middle of the, the back three last night it wasn't interesting when we put a hobby bit at left yeah. back well i mean this this makes me worry as well about jake vokins who we've all been told about as yeah. a wonderful player coming through from the academy i think he came on in stoppage time last it was, night yeah. you think with well with ryan bertrand now going to be out uh, for three games. Um, you, you, you question why we sold Matt Target and didn't replace him. You know, Clearly yeah. the club have thought that, well, Jake Vokins is as good as or better than Matt Target, so we can afford to let Matt Target go. But Ralph isn't of the same opinion because otherwise Jake Vokins would be being played at left-back in these times when Bertrand's been injured and now when he's been suspended, it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next three games, but it doesn't look like Vokins is going to get a sniff. It's, it is a bit of a peculiar one, because I say, I, I was very surprised when we sold Target, because mm. I, I must confess, I, I like my Target. I, I think he's a good player, I think he's somebody we could have, that he was the type of player you'd be looking for who's come through the academy, who could have been brought on and taken to the next level by Ralph, because if that's his whole aim about bringing these younger players through and developing them, I mean, all right, Target's a that bit older, mm. but he could have been taken to another level. Now, Vokins, it, uh, it 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 does it does worry you when you like the Bournemouth game, for example, mm. when we've got Cedric there at left back, um, we're putting Dance on right back, and we've got this whole concern with with no real left back. Yeah. But this Vokins kid is just never there. Yeah. And it was good to see him on the bench last night, but but Ralph has has been traded on this whole thing of bringing those youth through and when we've had such an issue with left back all season it is strange that we're now hitting November and only now he's coming into the, the match day squad it, th- so clearly clearly he doesn't think he's right yeah and and then maybe this asks, asks another question in terms of the problems that we have across the, the club you know we've talked about the backroom staff we've talked about the senior management we've talked about Ralph being I say talked about the players is the academy now Running not drive. as good as it as it was you possibly know. Uh, in terms of because we've got this big weakness in midfield we are wholly dependent on the trio and if there's any issues around that trio then maybe you might bring Armstrong in Armstrong is very much a you know he's a good skillful player does he fit the mold of of all those positions within the four two 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 um, system he doesn't quite fit into any of those areas there so he's not clearly not for that game Last season, we started bringing Slattery through. Now, he does look like somebody who is a bit of a run-around midfielder who will work hard, will put the tackles in, does cover, does do the unseen work, the unsung work. Now, I've been wondering why he hasn't at least been coming into the matchday squad when there's been times when the midfield has has been looking that little bit questionable, shall we say, because I think we are, everybody recognises the toward pros quality player was astonishing last season the second half of last season under Ralph seems to have gone backwards a bit now does he need a break does he need to be taken I I still feel that a lot of them need to be taken out of the firing line at the yeah. moment and Slattery if we can stop bringing youngsters through Slattery might be well, well worth a go yeah so speaking about the players that you think that should be taken out of the firing line I, I agree that I think James Will Prowse needs to have a break and, yeah. and Ralph needs to say whatever he, it was that he said to him last season yeah. And get because if we had that James Ward Prowse, I don't think we would be in, in the situation that we are because he no. was fantastic towards the end of last season. He was scoring goals, um, he was causing problems, he was getting Wilfred Zaha sent off. Yeah. You know, it was it was a James Ward Prowse that I didn't know existed and I don't think I fell any in of us love did. with. Yeah, um, I think he needs to be taken. I also think Hoiberg needs definitely rest as well. Definitely, I, he's been dreadful for me this season. Yeah, Hoiberg um, Ward Prowse, you know, definitely. I think uh, uh, really, really struggling. Vestergaard, 
I'm afraid I've made my mind up now. I was at the Saints Man United game where I thought he played really well, but I think that's been the only good game he's had. For he Saints. was cracking in that game, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, you know, we, we we were all we were all amazed at just how well he played in that game, and it did look like he turned that corner. Mm. But it it is curious how somebody who was so dominant in the Bundesliga can come here and just seem to lack the positional awareness, lack the the speed is the biggest concern for me with with Vestergaard and his judgment and somebody that tall still not quite managing to win it up in the air. So you, all those attributes there, it's it's a worry. But 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 there clearly is something there though because yeah. he was so strong previously and he did show in the Manchester United game. I, I mean, I, I, I am a believer that that players at this level, they are unbelievably gifted they are unbelievably skillful and have got the judgment and I think so much of it is around confidence and if Vestergaard is able to show us at least once that he can play that then he clearly has got that ability so again there's something going on there because he is good enough I don't buy the any argument that that he he is not a good enough central defender if he can prove it in one game against as much as Manchester United have gone um, off the boil in terms of the level of threat and dominance that they offer he's still able to, to do that so so why can't he do uh, it yeah, every, I just don't get every it. week yeah or, uh, or, or at least with some sort of level of consistency yeah um, I'm just going to bring up one uh, last thing about the game and then my wife's reaction to the Leicester game before we move on to the Man City <laughs> game from last night um so I heard someone said to me that Southampton committed three fouls in the game against I saw that Leicester, stat. yeah, and then there were no more in the whole rest of the game. And Carl Anker has talked on this podcast about how tactical fouling is a big part of Southampton's yep. method of defending. Obviously, we won't do much defending uh, against Leicester on, on Friday, but the three fouls—do you know what they were? No. Ryan Bertrand sending off. Yeah. The foul that conceded the free kick that James Madison scored from. Yeah. And Bednarek's penalty. penalty. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Jeez. Perhaps it was good that we only conceded three fouls. <laughs> Maybe, but it, it does come back to what, yeah. to what Carl was saying about conceding those fouls in the right areas. Yeah. And those were three fouls in very bad yeah, areas. Yeah. I, 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 must, I must confess to you something which I am quite ashamed of, which is that after the Madison free kick, we did actually leave at that point. Did you? Um, yeah. yeah, at that point. Uh, to, to be fair to the boys, neither of them had actually said, can we go, please? Yeah. It's awful. They, they would go, no, we stay support the team. Um, but at that point, that free kick went in, and you look at it and think, yeah, yeah, fair play, that was a, a brilliant free kick. But the weather was horrific, yeah. and there's always the pinch point of getting over the bridge, getting back to the car, trying to find yeah. the car, get all the way. So we were just, right, let's just go now. Uh, so I didn't actually know that it was the record 9-0 until we got in. Oh. Because when you go in the car, um, Evan said, we, let's put someone in sport. And I was going, no, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Can ju- I just want to get home, just want to get home. So at that point, it was, because I think it was about something like the 88th minute yeah. when we left, I thought, all right, at least we've avoided the nine. Yeah, at least we've avoided yeah. the nine. So I didn't know until it got in. Yeah. Um, funny enough, the, the friend I was staying with last night in Southampton is an Ipswich Town fan. And the first <laughs> thing he said to me um, when I walked in the door last night was just like, welcome to the club. <laughs> it's just like, oh, thanks, mate. So, you know, a little Can't bit of surprise. So my wife's way of offering me commiseration. So she didn't watch the game. She watched Gogglebox with uh, my mum. And... Um, there was a story in there, like a, an awful story about how this uh, lady was having twins and her husband had like brain cancer or something. And then she gave birth to the twins, took them in the car, drove up to the hospital where her husband was having treatment for brain cancer. And then they got one photo and then he died, which is a terribly sad story. And my wife That's told awful. me this to say, you know, you know, have a bit of perspective, which, okay, fair enough, yeah. have a bit of perspective. But I'm like, I've just dealt with my club <laughs> losing 9-0 and now you've told me about some poor guy who's died on the day his twins are born. Like, this doesn't make me feel any better. No. No, not yeah. at all. No. Um, so I don't know if anyone else has got some strange stories about their wives or partners or husbands or brothers or sisters or, you know, offering commiseration, do send them into the podcast at gmail.com. But... Yeah, that definitely didn't help me. No, no, yeah. it wouldn't. All, all I got when we got home was just because my parents were downstairs as well at the same time and everybody just looked at us. <laughs> we walked yeah. in and they were just just yeah. shaking their heads, yeah. just going, 
nothing you can say really no. and uh, i was genuinely in a state of shock and there were times i was just sort of almost laughing at it thinking that i just can't believe i just seen that i've just witnessed that saturday morning and i was furious yeah. when i woke up then it it, it felt more real did, did you manage to morning. sleep on friday night no i, d- I, I, I didn't, didn't go, i didn't go to bed until very late i just could I was, not i was lying I in bed bother. with it all kind of like running through my head over and over again it was it was dreadful it's like you know it was uh, it probably was in shock and you know yeah and, and and that's the thing that's what that's why i worry i generally worry about those players yeah because i think that that's national. That's not just national yeah. humiliation. That's international, international humiliation. Yeah. There's still memes going on. There's jokes going around. Yeah. As people, uh, it's it, it must be horrible. And if you look at it on a totally um, just the objective perspective of of Southampton Football Club, um, whether you care about them or not as human beings, it doesn't matter. Um, obviously, I do, and I think that yeah. they, we we should never lose sense of that human side of this. But from a club perspective, how on earth do we build them back yeah. up from that? Well, to just I some of this level of parity. I, I suppose one of the things that we have the advantage here is that Saints have played since that game now. So the fact that yeah. we're recording on Wednesday morning and not on Monday morning, for example, yes, um, does give us a bit of perspective. We lost 3-1 to Manchester City. The first half last night, we didn't register a single shot. Um... Uh, I was following it on the Saints website, so I was listening to the commentary. Yeah. We were 2-0 down at half-time. We'd completed something like 100 passes compared to Manchester City's 400 passes. We had yeah. 20% possession compared to their 80%. But we'd only conceded two goals. And I think that was almost like it was the first bit of medicine was to get through a half of Man City yeah. without really, really embarrassing themselves. And in the second half, they it's did better. try going forward... And I know this isn't how football works, but they drew the second half with Man City. <laughs> it finished 3-1. But we got a goal from a corner, from a Jack Stevens header. We scored against Man City. We registered some shots on target. Um, and from the commentary from Adam Blackmore and, and Dave Merrington, the second half sounded so much more positive. Definitely. And I think the advantage of us recording today tells us that, you know, I, I kind of like wrote in my preparation for this, obviously, because I... Started the prep for this podcast before last night. Yeah. And I just wrote Man City 27, Saints <laughs> nil. And it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and so we can see that there is some little glimmer of improvement. Um, we're out of the League Cup. But I think mentally for the players, they'll be in a better state today I think than so. they were yesterday before the game. And is there a glimmer of hope for Saturday? I don't think there's a glimmer of hope for Saturday, but I do think that there's a glimmer of hope for the Everton again. Yeah. I think I, I think that's what we need to be building towards. I think we need to be realistic with this. All right, Man City have dropped some points. Mm. They lost they lost to Wolves. Nobody was expecting that. They had that loss to Crystal Palace last season. Nobody They've was expecting that. They well. lost to Norwich yeah. this season. So they are they are um capable of not turning up to this to the their particularly amazingly high standards every single match but i think this is i think this has to be a gradual rebuild i don't think that any of those teams that have gone to those places and got those results have had to try to build back up from the level of trauma that our players have experienced so i do think that yeah we need to get through it the second half i agree did sound a lot better from what i heard and the fact that I mean, Jack Stevens is, he's, you know, I, I think, is it in his full name, the much maligned Jack Stevens? Yeah, oh yeah something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in, from a defensive perspective, then, yeah, you, there are obviously yeah. there are question marks there. But he's got an excellent goal scoring record for yeah. us over the, over the last year or so. And it, it, was, a, it was a real strong, commanding yeah. header, great delivery. Now, it seemed as well that Redmond, Adams could work in hard and were able to push up that a little bit more. Maybe there's something there. Yeah. What my, my Liverpool sporting mate is convinced we're going to get a draw against Man City, but I think that's just him hoping more yeah, than anything else. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't expect we'll win, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel from mm. what has been a, a dreadful, dreadful time for Southampton Football Club. I agree. And I think, I think what we're all looking for now is because 
the quite quite a bit of the feedback last night with people getting annoyed that that the, that first half was mm. so dreadful. But I agree with you. I think first half was really about just trying to just pick yourself back up off the floor, try to be solid. So you don't go in on it and looking at another hiding coming yeah. away. And then they did build and move on in the second half. I think we have to do similar in the next game on Saturday. But I think what we're all looking for is when we go to that Everton match that they come out at St Mary's in front of all those fans that were there in the last game and they are at it from the off. If they're not at it from the off, then I think that's when we really worry because that start against Leicester was the worst of the whole... All right, the 90 minutes, the 93 minutes, whatever, was pretty shocking. But the start of it was the issue. And I don't think we can ever reasonably expect that type of start again. If the, we do get starts of matches like that again, then we've really got to worry. Yeah. Simon, I'm, I'm uh, looking at the time and I think we need to wrap this up because we've got uh, a lecture or a workshop to deliver yep, to your, your, ge- your students. Ge- you're generously running a workshop yeah. for me today. Thank so, you. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to be looking at getting um, the university that I work in, Plymouth Marjons University, to zero carbon and your students are going to be helping helping me out to come up with ideas for that. I did put a little note at the end here that should we talk about Matthew Letissier and his uh, <laughs> climate change <laughs> denying yeah, tweets. Um, I, th- I don't know. I feel like we need to stage some sort of intervention, Simon, and perhaps invite Matthew Letissier on and perhaps you could give him, you know, impart some of your knowledge of climate science and environmental sustainability and, and basically debunk the the website that he shared because that uh, that I was, I, I had uh, that was awful. I, I, and I don't want to be patronising to people because I think that's where climate scientists have perhaps in in the past like yeah. sometimes have seemed a little bit aloof. But for people like you and me who work in the kind of industry, the industry of sustainability yeah. or whatever or higher education, um, the source that he had was was not credible. Not at all any shape or yep. way so just in case there's any saints fans out there who've seen matthew Letizia's tweets about climate change um if you do want to have a chat I, simon is on twitter i will copy him in to yeah the, absolutely to the podcast uh he can tell you why the climate science is real and that we do have to do something about it um we will try and speak to matthew Letizia <laughs> at some point i very much doubt he'll want to come onto the podcast <laughs> and talk about climate change uh, but but anyway, um, anyway, if you want to let us know what you thought of this podcast, uh, do get in contact at Saints FC Podcast on Twitter, uh, Saints FC Podcast at gmail.com on the email. Thank you very much, Simon, for joining me once again. It's been been a pleasure once again. And thank you ever so much for the invitation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. you. Um, so, listeners, cheerio. Let's hope for a, a slightly more joyous podcast next time. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>